Must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast. It's a podcast about teams, being in teams, running teams, uh, and generally getting the most out of your teams. Uh, You know this voice now. It's Mark Johnson. I'm a performance teacher and a performance maker. I am joined as always by uh, sports coach Sean Gallagher. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. How are we doing? (laughs) I am uh, doing great today. I'm sweltering in my little home studio. Uh, How about you? I'm okay. Yeah. I actually done some uh, vigorous cleaning of the house earlier. So yeah, I was getting a sweat on too, but um, I'm all good now. Relaxed, having my bottle of Evian and uh, talking to my good good friend, uh, Mark Johnson. We're not sponsored by Evian, by the way. That was just a, that was free promotion. Unless you work for Evian, in which case, please drop us a line. (laughs) Uh, yeah, we are uh, we are not going to act like we make any money off of this. So if you want to sponsor us, you, you get to reach out to some really, really great listeners. That's all of you. I'm sucking up now. That's terrible. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the episode. Let's. I wasn't quite ready for the in-depth analysis of Michael Moore's work. He really, really delved into it and it was fantastic because sometimes you know we have 30 40 minutes with someone and there's so many different angles you can take and the conversation goes a certain way and maybe you don't always get to cover things but it was really good that Michael had a clear kind of guideline that he uh he wanted to kind of take us on and really sort of lay out his structure and his format on his kind of pursuit of excellence, which is is what we uh, name the title. Yeah, that's uh, it's, uh, an amazing interview chat that went on for nearly a couple of hours, actually, uh, with Michael Moore. He's a sports uh, football coach uh, in the Republic of Ireland, and he's worked at a whole bunch of different levels across the sport. Uh, he's got relationships with the Football Association of Ireland, and he's worked at the youth level. We talked to him about his work in uh, the community, in prisons, and uh, it was such an epic chat and Michael had so much to say we're actually going to be splitting this episode into two so this is part one of two with Michael Moore we were talking to Michael over the internet as uh, is still a requirement so with apologies the sound quality is not the best in the world but uh, if you can bear with it Michael has so many interesting things to say and I think you'll get sucked in and uh, completely absorbed by what is an incredibly uh, rigorous and really clearly set out uh, process for achieving excellence in sport. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, if I I don't know if if I mentioned it in the in the chat itself, but it really reminds me of Bill Walsh and his standards of performance. Mm. So he had a very very clear identity. Um, and, and as I said, this set of standards, uh, of performance for everyone in the organization from the tea ladies, the receptionists, uh, all the way up to the players, the coaches themselves, of course. And it was such a clear, almost manifesto that, you know, everyone kind of got on board and Mark, you'll be able to give the listeners a lot more knowledge on the 49ers and Bill Walsh than I, I ever can, but <laughs> they were pretty successful and he was as well, uh, it's fair to say. Yeah, so let's jump straight into our chat with Michael Moore. So I am ready to take a back seat and listen on this one as we welcome on to the podcast Michael Moore. Michael is the Academy Manager at Juventus, Saudi Arabia in Riyadh. Uh, hello, Michael. Thank you for coming on. Hello, boys. Um, nice to be here. And uh, thanks for the invite. Hi, Michael. You're super welcome. And uh, we are, well, I am hoping that this is an opportunity for me to learn a bunch about how you make your teams and how you run your teams because as our listeners know and as you may or may not know Sean obviously is a is a football coach himself I teach performance so the conversations we end up having about how we run teams usually we find a fair amount to disagree on so I'm here to listen and learn on this one 
That was a very short and uh, abrupt introduction. Michael, perhaps you'd like to tell us a little bit more about kind of your journey to where you are now. For sure. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, just a brief outline on my journey. It all started in, in, in 2000. That's when the coaching started. Before that, I played football up to that, to, to that age. Mm. Um, and obviously, I wasn't going to be the next day with Beckham. So I had to refocus everything, you know, and... I did have trials abroad. They didn't work out and I did become disillusioned a little bit. So the saving grace for me in football would have been from my my Mrs. Jen. She identified that I still loved the game and she found a course that was football related, but it was about coaching and management. And she gave me the book. I read the book and I said, yeah, I'd like to try that. Mm. So I went ahead, signed up and I got onto the course. And that was, that's the beginning. That's the introduction to coaching for me. And so for that, that couple of years on them courses, that's when I started to remove myself from being a football player to becoming a coach. And it's a big difference. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, then I started to realize, well, college isn't just about studying, it's about networking. And I started to meet people within the Irish game, the Football Association of Ireland and, and, and people in the League of Ireland. So that was the beginnings where I set up a business in the football industry. And for me, this was the, the, the best learning phase for me as a coach. Even mm. to now, I'm still learning, but this is where it all began. I was working with so many different types of players, different abilities, different players with different experience, different backgrounds in different countries. Example, Mark and Sean would have been that I went from working with Players, I had contracts in, in prisons. I went. I was working yeah. with players in prisons, wow. and then I then I was working with with um, so called elite players. Now, what we call elite, it's open for debate. But say a, a structured player, mm. and then working with females and working with people coming from um, different countries into Ireland. Yeah. So I then soon realised that football wasn't always about the techniques of the game that I know was. I I know it was straight away from an early early um, perspective that it was I needed to know the qualities of the person that I'm mm. working with and then the skill levels and not just the skill levels how they acquired them skill levels were yeah. they quick at taking knowledge in or were they a little bit slower and was there confidence to take it in and and when I used to go into the prisons you know um, they, they were my best training sessions <laughs> you know because these guys you know that I bonded with, I didn't ask about their backgrounds. It wasn't for me. Either. But I seen that they enjoyed football, but I had to get to them different ways. And I had to know their emotions and their qualities because they could go off quick or they may not yeah. show any interest. Yeah. You know, so the four, six years of me coaching, yeah, I'd done some of my badges and um, coach education, but I was learning the qualities of the players. Mm. Um, and then I, I was reflecting my qualities as a coach, how to connect. So, and then I, then I would have moved into a club called Shelbourne Football Club. Um, at the time where, in that decade, were the strongest, you know, they were, the first team were getting into the, the, um, the Champions League qualifications. They were playing Deportivo La Corona, you know, so I got involved in the under 16s, under 18s um, as head coach and then doing scouting for the under 21s. So then that's when I started going in a little bit of a different direction and I was becoming more streamlined to elite and player development. So in 2006, that's when I joined the Football Association full-time. Before that, I was doing contract work, work with them. So they knew, they were aware of me. Right. And we came to an agreement that sure, everything that I'm doing, we can do it in here. And I haven't looked back, you know. Yeah. I've been with them 14 years and I'm still good friends with them. The yeah. coach education team is excellent. But within the association, I, I was part of the National Academy as a coach, coach education team and club development. Um, and if I talk about the club development, I was working with one of the strongest and most prestigious teams in, in Dublin and in Ireland, um, a club called Cherry Orchard that has been feeding players for Irish football and England yeah. to the, um, even up to recent um, in youth development. And now I find myself that um, I've been over in Saudi Arabia as the academy manager in Riyadh. And again, a great experience and meeting different cultures. Um, 
and tra- not finding out different um, traditions and then experience different styles and cultures of football. So it's been a, an interesting few um, years. Yeah. But for me, if I was to look back on the journey, biggest thing that I learned and the biggest thing, and I think the secret to, to anyone that's leading a project or a team, you need to know the person and the people you're working with. Right. And and respect everything about them, even if you don't like it, you know, or if you do like it. So mm. it's, it's communication, you know, that's why, that, 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 that's for me the key to, and you can't always say success because what's success? Winning the Premier League, you know, or building a player or building a person. There's different aspects to it. Well, absolutely. And I think that's something that I'm getting off of what you're talking about immediately. And is making me feel a little more comfortable as someone who's less familiar is that this idea of understanding the person that you're working with and bringing those qualities and those strengths out being such a key part of, of what you're doing. That I think is one of those things that, that we're seeing emerge across the board, whether we're talking about business or theater or football, the who's in front of you, how do I make the most out of them is you know, you have to tie that to a diff- a different understanding for each of them about what success means. It can't always be like you were saying for yourself. It can't be, I didn't make it to the World Cup as a player, therefore mm. pff, failure. But exactly. I know, like, with the actors, the, that sense of disillusionment is real. And, mm. and working out what to do with that is... Mm such a crucial part of the journey. And it sounds like there's something in the coach's education we might get into as well. I was just going to say, first and foremost, you know, as, as someone who has been a football coach now for about 10 years, I mean, uh, Michael's journey is something that you kind of want to aspire towards. You know, you want to, you want to be working at all different levels and continuing to progress your own personal career. And, you know, his has gone in, in lots of different directions as, and has continued to kind of go forward. But I just wanted to go back to the prison side of things michael because that that was really interesting for you to say that was Mm, kind of one of your your first experiences do you think Mm. do you think that put you ahead of the game or ahead of maybe some of your your colleagues and peers when you then started to go through your badges in the sense that you'd already understood that this wasn't all just about elitism and about being the best of the best but it's about understanding people and having Mm. empathy for for people's backgrounds and and what makes them tick because if you didn't do that in prison i'm sure you wouldn't have lasted very long in there working with these people so do you Mm. think that put you ahead of the game slightly i definitely think so yeah it gives you a step up you know because you're you're self-aware and you know you're dealing with people with different um, emotional um, behaviors you know and the best way to run a team then is you must know how to control the emotions. Yeah. No, it may sound crazy, you yeah. know, how to control the emotions of, of, of people, you know, in the football context. So, yeah, back in the prisons, you know, um, and, you know, that it was definitely, it was a worthwhile um, program that I'd done, yeah. you know, and it definitely stood to me in so many aspects as in, it made me that I had to prepare the training sessions to keep the people concentrated because yeah. I, I know it was the concentration levels Sometimes where it lasts thirty seconds, yeah. you know. Yeah, and as soon as as soon as you're onto something that's outside of the the scope or the context of the training session, all of that stuff from outside the room comes back in. And mm. I was wondering, is there stuff that you would found yourself doing that kept? Because, like you were saying, you don't want to dwell on or dig into their backgrounds in a way that this is a place where that doesn't need to be relevant. Yeah, yeah. But in those in those gaps, you know, two guys who had a fight yesterday, but in your room are teammates. Was there stuff you were doing to try and keep it about the football in, in the prisons? In the, yeah, in that in that in that coaching context. Yeah. So, so what what I was doing basically was um, there was things that I found myself doing, uh, and there were simple things, you know. People were coming in with high energy, raring to go, you know, and I mean raring to go. So the simplest thing for me was I put the ball 10 feet away from the um, the wall and ask them to bury it as hard as they can 10 times. And lads, <laughs> let's see who can kick the ball the hardest against the wall. Nice. So you got a lot of things. You got the energy levels down, yeah. you know, they were a little bit more fired. So 
Yeah. Your wardrobe was bringing everything down and yeah. you couldn't, you, you had to manage, like with a football team, you have to put competition into training. Yeah. I yeah. took competition out of this because how do we manage competition in them environments? Well, mm. you're doing better than me. I'm feeling like shit. Excuse the language and they'll just crack out, you know. You don't want them... And it's the same or similar with young people who take that kind of ranking or that status so seriously that it affects how they work with each other as team members. You do need to find a way to keep them competitive, but without having them in competition with each other. Yeah, yeah. And and that's it. And that was the key. That was the hardest thing, you know, to Mm. get that balance of competition, interest, uh, without uh, boiling over. And that's the hardest thing. And then I've seen sometimes coaches go in and not read them environments and it turns into a battle. And then it's, uh, boy, you're fighting. Well, it's, it's this preparation and the setup that you've organized. Yeah. I set up a platform that is going to lead to a battle. Yeah. And then if, you're in trouble. Michael, do you think, do you think that is something as a coach that is difficult to teach in terms of, and Mark, I guess it's the exact same for you, you know, as a, as someone who's putting on performances and you're walking into a room with a, with a bunch of actors, but is it something you can't teach in terms of reading that environment before you've even laid a cone down? Can I go ahead? Yeah. Something that, that Michael was saying that I think I recognize as something that I do as well is about creating a really specific environment for them to enter. So it's not about coming in and then, and then trying to work out what we've got. Sometimes it's about making that first moment that getting in the start of something. So in my rehearsals, if there is uh, we used to play a, a ball game called champ a lot of the time. And if that is set up, and the music that is playing while we play that game is already playing. Then they walk into the room, they start playing that game and all of the nonsense yeah. is bypass. They know where they are and what's going on. Yeah. So you keep an environment consistent is yeah. one way to not have to read it that. Yeah. You need to notice how about, cause it sounds like with those balls lined up to, you know, welly against the wall, that sounds like it's doing the same thing. Yeah. You're setting the tone and yeah. setting the environment. But I think if you dig deeper in, to reading the situation, the environment, um, Sean. I think you naturally, as a coach or a person, some people are natural at reading environments. Yeah. And then there's people that are naturally <laughs> at reading environments wrong and make mm. things worse. Right. You <laughs> right. know, you yeah. know uh, and the whole thing just blows up. And yeah. that's what you want to make sure you don't have them people in your coaching team. Yeah. yeah. Well, we spoke, we spoke, we spoke a lot about um, emotional intelligence uh, with, with a couple, mm. couple of people, especially if you are in that manage managerial leader kind of senior role um, and understanding people and environments. And I think it's, it's crucial for a coach to have that social intelligence and sure. emotional intelligence, because like you said, you walk into a dressing room, you say the wrong thing. You could lose the, you yeah. could lose the dressing room in 30 seconds, you know? So, yeah. but um, I wanted to kind of move into this pursuit of excellence, which I know is something yeah. that you were keen to discuss today. Um, obviously you've worked at all different levels of the game, um, you know, from grassroots all the way up to elite. So could you tell us a little bit about kind of how you've worked on that pursuit of excellence in the different environments you've been in? For sure. Yeah. So, um, and excuse me, if you hear me, I have a cup of tea with me, so that may be picked up. Uh, it's not a it's not a point of Guinness or anything like Go that. Go for it. Go tea. for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Our, our Irish nans would be proud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, team excellence, you know, and my vision to achieve team excellence, I've split it into, and um, well, divided it into three sort of pillars, mm. and one is the learning environment. Okay which is basically continuous professional development. Now, we will dig deeper in it, but I just want to outline the pillars yep. for us in, in, in this strategy. So the first one is, is learning, the learning environment for the team or your coaching staff, your management team. So this can fit into both aspects, you know. Mm. Then the second one is, is for the team excellence, is harmony in the team. If you don't have harmony, and we'll dig deeper into this. There's problems all the time. The third one for me is then performance accountability. That, that's a, a big difference from the first two because now you're 
looking for accountability through measuring the performance and then evaluating the performance. You know, so there are three different pillars, but for me, very important. And three of them point towards success. You know, whether you get the success is a different story, but this this leads in that direction. And that, that can be either as an individual success, team success, or success within your staff, or it could be project management. Right. You know, so there, there's there's different sort of um, categories where that can lead to. Yeah. And um, but them they're they're the first three for me. The learning environment, harmony, and performance accountability. Now, there's for me, there's seven critical elements for this excellence. And I'll go through them specifically and give some examples on it. So the first one would be commitment. Then there's focus, connection. Then there's confidence. Then positive images, mental readiness, distraction control, and ongoing learning. Now, them elements must be, as what we stated at the start, within your learning environment. Yeah, right. That's hard. As a coach or a manager, that's nothing even to do with the tactics or the the principles of your game. Right, exactly. You know, so before you even start coaching, Sean, this is completely different. This yeah. is the mindset. This is the environment. Never mind tactics. And and for Mark, as he mentioned, he, he, he has to set the environment before he even gets into the project. Exactly. Of rehearsals and so on. Or, exactly. Or to implement creativity. This is what we're bringing into the room. Mm. When uh, I'm auditioning, or maybe when you're scouting, these are the things where I'm going, do they have the capacity or the capability yes. to match the focus that we want them to have? Rather than, are they good at dancing? Exactly. Are they going to be in the room with the right energy in all of these areas? And that's the, if we get anything out of today's conversation, that, that statement there mm. is, are the, the players or the actors or actresses, are they compatible are they suitable and are they adaptable to this? Yeah. Them three things, you know, because um, we can all be compatible, but then a bit of a crisis comes, are we adapting? Yeah. You know, yeah. and these these critical elements will help identify that and make people aware to think about it, you know. And that's yeah. what we want is just to open up the, the thought process, you know. So if we go into the first one, um, and which is commitment, the first thing that I look for in my management team or the players is that I ask them, what is commitment? I may be getting to write it down or whatever and get a clear definition of the word because yeah. players understanding the commitment to the, what the staff's understanding the commitment and goals are could be completely different. Very true. Yeah. yeah we work, we work yeah. with young, we work with young people on a daily basis. You, exactly. you feel that keenly that your understanding of commitment and theirs is very different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I look to identify within my team. So we put in the context of, of my coaching staff, identify the real, the reason and the purpose of being committed to our project. What is it? You know, so that's immediate goal setting then. So we're identifying what we're, what the commitment is for. And is there a purpose to it? Because if there's no purpose to that goal, we all lose focus. So commitment has to have a purpose. And, and I think sometimes, I think sometimes, Michael, as well, you know, it, it, let's say you, you're taking on a new coaching staff or it's a relatively mm. new team. If you're sitting there and talking about commitments and they don't line up with what their goals are, there's a very early indication that maybe this project isn't right for you. Exactly. You know, and then the, the commitment of, you have to, is the personal goal set, you know, for individuals. So are they committed to that? And why are they committed to a personal goal? Because there's a purpose that they're going to become fitter from it or they're going to become noticed and more attractive as a player in three months' time to get a move. So you have to, you have to give them a bit of a carrot as well to get them to commit. Yeah. And that's putting purpose and reason mm. on it. So there's personal commitment and then there's team commitment with team goal setting as well. So the commitment that you're asking from a commitment from your defending back five, your goalkeeper and your back four. And you identify that the reason for this is you want to become a stronger, solid unit. 
So there's the, the target. Now, that's, are we going to commit to do that? But then we have to set out the requirements to achieve that commitment. So, you know, so, so, so do you, Mike? So we're digging deeper. Yeah, do, Michael, do you look so? Um, it's always a surprising one, but Mark Johnson, uh, theatre perf- you know uh, p- performer, has a very keen and in-depth knowledge of the NFL, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and which p- most people aren't. Su- most people are slightly surprised by. I definitely was, and obviously within within those teams, they have uh, you know offensive coaches, defensive coaches. They have teams within teams, and they will, yeah. they will have their own yeah. uh, goals, uh, you know, for every game and for the season. So. Do you break your teams down in that same way where you spoke about the back five and then maybe your midfielders and, and your attacking players? Would they all have their own mini kind of teams within that one team and they have their goals and objectives for the season? Yeah, well, the team is, is broken into subunits. So if we get into the tactical um, side and the, the um, organisational structures of, of football and move away from actual mental commitment, to answer your question, yeah, there, it's, there's subunits in the team. You know, you, the subunits, yeah. the goalkeeper and the back four, they, they're the subunit. They have to be a tight unit. In midfield, they have to be a tight unit. And the front line has to be a tight unit. But then then, then there becomes the, the midfield and the forward line. They become a unit. But it depends on what you're working with. Then it could be the midfield and the back line. They become a unit. But overall, overarching all over, completely over this is there's a master plan and a strategy that yeah. just is broken down into smaller parts yeah. that, that everyone has to uh, explicitly buy into exactly and that's the commitment we all have to identify it recognize it and state it out loud for everyone. and that's it and that's when that's why commitment is not just yeah i'm going to be here for six weeks lads you'll see me every day it's that's only one element <laughs> yeah. of it you know i might be on yeah. time i might not <laughs> yeah you're not showing me commitment you didn't get here to quarter past four <laughs> yeah. you know there's there's bigger there's bigger problems than that you yeah. know so you, yeah. in that commitment process you have to set out the requirements to achieve and excel so there's a that's a big body of yeah. work there alone you know yeah. and that's work you would give you would lead with your with your coach and staff how do we achieve what we're committing to? Yeah. Then a big word on that is persistence. You must be persistent with it. Yeah. Talking about it, um, acting it out, and then be persistent when you're hit with obstacles. And what's the obstacles? Mm. It could be a player getting injured on the training pitch. In your context, uh, Mark, it could be just someone feeling ill and he couldn't play a part in that day. So you have to adapt to that. So for me, commitment to get you have to say, so say it's a six-week plan, or say we say a 12-month plan. For me, I, I put vision reminders within the season plan. Yeah. So you're reminding them of the commitment, why we're committed, and put that three or four times throughout the year, or you could have it more. It depends really on, on what you're doing. And is that, is that a meeting, Michael? Is that, a, is that is that a presentation? What does that look like? Yeah, definitely. That would that would be that would be definitely a presentation. You know, that would be twenty minutes, and that's why you have to identify the right people to be part of your environment. Because if someone turns around and says, "I'm I'm not into these meetings for twenty minutes and that type of stuff," well, that's your that's your plan to achieve. And if someone's yeah. not bought into that, you know, then there's a problem. That's a weak link. That was going to be my question is, is like, we can ask that. We won't always get it. Mm. With these seven, mm. is there a process of correction or of, of like se- of a second chance to buy in or is it fix up or you're out? How do you get the, the commitment from those who maybe don't initially give it? Okay. Well, that comes into the, one of the pillars, performance accountability. Yeah. You know, that, that's where it falls into that. Um, and there's a number of ways of looking at it. It depends on the magnitude of um, the disrespect to the project, to pretending to be committed and then becoming someone else, you know. So we'd have to probably create a scenario that then I personally sort of manage on that. But there's the, the most ruthless way of dealing with it is if you're losing control of a person, you get rid of them. 
Yeah. Do you? That's yeah. it. Especially if they're if they're if they're infecting yeah, exactly. or if they're creating that in other mm. people. As yeah. Well. Is there? Um, I, was, I was just reading reading something the other day, um, just again about a tech. You know, sometimes you have these tech geniuses that work for these big companies, yeah. but they can be massive divas, but they actually are the most innovative within that company. And you are stronger mm. with them than you are without them. And there was this very thin line they were talking about where sometimes you do have to try and work with them and give them what they're asking for within reason for the better of the team, as long as, like you said, it doesn't overstep the mark. Acknowledging that they're a crappy team member. Yeah. Have uh-huh. you have you had experiences like that, especially in the more elite environments where maybe a player does get above their station, but they are the best player in the team? And, and how have you gone about managing those scenarios? Or is it not something that's popped up too much for you? No, it has popped up. And the way it is, it's, I think you said it there, that you need them. So as yeah. a coach, you have to be selfish. Yeah. You know, you can you can use a player. Yeah. You know, they've used you and they've disrespected you. So an inner thought process would be, well, if I actually get rid of Sean now, it's going to affect the game on Tuesday. Mm. I'm going to let Sean be part of the unit on Tuesday and then I'll kick him out Friday. Yeah. That's Mark's thought process yeah. every week on the podcast. He's like, I yeah. kind of, I kind of need Sean, <laughs> but I'll let him do this episode, and then I'll find yeah, someone yeah. else for next week. Yeah. So <laughs> we're on a rolling, we're on a rolling expectation that Sean's not going to yeah. be on the next but, episode. But then, in some of the environments that I walked in, say um, international player development, you don't have total control of the player. You know, he's coming in a certain amount of times a year. Yeah. You know, so. If, he's, if the player has um, maybe a personality issue, you cannot fix that because you don't have the time to fix it. You don't know the, the background of what he's coming from, his support network, you know. Well, on that, on so, that point, Michael, that's a really interesting point, just looking at international football in general. So, you know, at the very elite adults and the, you know, the under 21s, 18s, 16s, moving all the way down how how much communication is there with the clubs especially at the more youth level i mean do you get a kind of almost a resume on that player at including behavioral things uh, and personality traits from that player especially when you're not working with them a lot or is that something you have to or is that something you yeah. have to scout yourself yeah well basically you look at it like this there is communication lines definitely if there's no communication line then there's a problem right um, then how good is the communication line? What's the, the the relationship you have with the other end of that phone line? Yeah. As in the manager, the coach, or the career guidance officer. So there is communication lines, Sean, but different levels of them. Right. You know, there's different levels of them. You know, some are, are clear, transparent, and factual um, information and details are getting, and some can be, change or fabricate to say, well, Mark's injured. He's not here. He won't be at training, at international training. Yeah. We've all seen them situations, yeah. you know, so, um, it's, uh, is that even at the younger, at the young, at the youth levels, Michael, where, where maybe money's not, you know, not quite there yet because the player's 16. Is it still something that you have to, you know, that happens basically. That what someone says they're not coming to try it. We won't be, he won't be um, reporting the duty. Yeah, it hasn't happened to me. Yeah, I think it gets to when it maybe more the at that adult level. Yeah, yeah. I try, I try and stay away from it as well. You know, that's I let the the, um, the international team up operations. They look after that sort, sort of communication. Line, yeah, you know. Fair enough. So if you don't mind, lads, we go into um, focus connection. Go for it. Yeah. Basically, it's getting your team, your staff. Are your players connected to their performance? That's it. You know, uh, and it sounds simple, but it's not. You know, you're look, and what is it? I'm looking for players that are on autopilot. Yeah. It's autopilot. They're changing gears. They're reacting. They're being proactive without instruction. You know, the strategy is embedded into their mind. Now, that's very hard to do. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Um, maybe that's something that can. You can't you can't maintain that level of focus all the time. It needs to be hey, get remove yourself from focus and just unwind. Yeah, 
you know. Yeah. Uh, and I'd be looking for players that if they're on the pitch, you know, they're not being distracted. They're not hearing other people, but yet they're hearing the voice of the coach. So they can still yeah. s- select hearing, you know, but they're still focused on strategy. They're still focused on problems that, that are on ahead of them on the pitch, but they're not getting pulled into, well, what am I going to be doing on Saturday? No, you forgot to take the washing out of the washing machine, yeah. you know. Yeah. But they're yes. still involved yeah. in the game, but if the coach are trained to hear your voice, yeah, you know, and certainly in Riyadh, I use that, I use keywords and I would just shout on purpose just for them to get used to hearing my voice, you know, and mm. that was a, that, that was more important before working on tactics because if they yes. can't pick up your voice, you're going nowhere. You're 20. Those important, those important moments of coaching that happen while the playing is going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, and it may not even be an actual tactical problem. It could be that player must hear you at the back of his ear just shouting, run. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's yeah. not tactical. That's just run. Yeah. But they need to connect to your voice. And would they, would that, would that also be kind of, encouragement as well of course would you use that to, I don't know good lad good yeah, lad yeah, yeah. You get, your voice has to be the dominant voice on the training ground you know mm. and most importantly during a game that they can hear your voice through all the action that's happening on the pitch yeah without it taking them out of that moment of playing that they're without in without them becoming distracted yeah yeah. So, my, so Michael, I mean, you know, I, I constantly, I'm just having flashbacks now of me just shouting shape, shape, shape to my team. Yeah. And, and that's because, you know, that's something that's been worked on the training pitch where they, yeah. they know the shape that we need to get into, say, if we've lost the ball. Um, and there's a shape that, that I want them in and they know what it means. So one word then can sometimes deliver what I'm looking for. The only thing I would say there is, a lot of the times now, you know, 2020 coaching moves on, you know, all the time, every single year, people talk about these silent sidelines and, and that coaches should, you know, spend 90 minutes through a game, sat down, you know, drinking some Bovril because the players out yeah. there all know exactly what they're supposed to do. Pep Guardiola gets sometimes when he was at Barcelona, he got a lot of praise for kind of sometimes just sitting back, Arsene Wenger sitting back because the players were supposed to know what they were doing. And now at youth level, a lot of coaches are being told, you know, to have these silent sidelines. So academy games are just played in silence pretty much. So mm. maybe with a few clapping of hands, where, where do you sit on that? Because obviously you've just said there that, that them hearing the coach's voice is very important. And I agree with that, but I just wanted your kind of thought on that silent sideline. Yeah. So to put some context on it, the reason I use that as an example, when I went to, to Riyadh, within the academy was a very silent group of players. They're not used to shouting. Yeah. They're not used to noise, yeah. you know, and they weren't used to being called on and off the pitch. So I had to get my voice used or they had to be familiar to a leader's voice. Yeah. Um, but in what you said there was, um, yeah, it, it's... It's a good point, but let's be honest. Can you be silent and sit back if they're doing something wrong? Why would you let them continue to do something <laughs> wrong? You know? Yeah. And then there's two categories of football developing and then actually competitive winning. Yeah. So, and they're two different things. So, Development, you can sit back and be silent because they're learning. They learn from the mistakes. Yeah. So, th- so you can be silent because now they're going to make continue. They're going to repeat a mistake because you're silent. They're not saying anything. They're saying, are they learning from that? So there's a technique and a, and a method and a reason to maybe being silent. Well, I think what's been lost. Yeah. You want to you want to know what part of the coach's voice is already exactly, in there that yeah. they're already hearing without you yeah, showing it. Then, but if there is a gap, you need to... I think that. so. Um, the information... Why be silent? Be silent if you're shouting at players and, and um, using foul language and just being negative. Yeah. Be silent. Don't be on the pitch. You know? Um, There's no point being talking all the time saying and saying just 
when you run after the ball, you're doing no running and you, you keep on saying that. that that's pointless, yeah. you know. Um, so there has to be a balance of if there's football-related information that is needed to help a player in a development phase, you must do it. Yeah. But what happens is, Sean, training Tuesday and Thursday is development. And then when you go on Saturday and Sunday, even at grassroots level, it's competition. Agreed. So how, how can you be silent when you're now entering into a competitive environment that you're supposed to say is a development environment? And it's not because we and the community is making this the FA Cup final and it's only under 14s D team against the under 14s <laughs> orange team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, I think, so, I, think me and, I think me and Mark um, have discussed this on many occasions where hmm. a big difference between performance in the arts and, and performance in sport is that league table, is that trophy, is that three hmm. points. Um, and I was, I'd, I'd be interested, Mark, for you to say, where do you see a rehearsal and feel the need to step in because mm-hmm. you're very much about allowing creative mistakes to happen and, and things like that. So where do you yeah. step in? Yeah. It's just, it's just a bit of a segue, but I just, I would just be interested. No, I think, I, I think the, the example is, uh, or the, the analogy, the comparison would be one, I think we're looking to create the same spaces that the, the place where you can do your best work. I'm completely aligned with that. Two, when it comes down to rehearsal, rehearsal is a space where we just we, we do our reflecting at the end because it's not it's the stakes aren't there. Obviously, there are some moments where if it's you know if it's a stage fight and it's unsafe, you're in. Or if someone's crossing lines, yeah. you're, you you know you intervene. But actually, you that's the moment where you want them to learn from what happened, not from what you were hoping was going to happen. And we choose to do our analysis of that afterwards. That would there be the equivalent of a director screaming at a performance to go a certain way or other? No, because the environment isn't there for that to be a thing. If directors could shout at Mm. actors to no to the left, to the left. And I think you probably see it on film sets more. They a hundred percent would. Like, but it's not acceptable in that environment. Mm. But that director uh, impulse to see the thing that you've been working for executed properly is, you know, the only difference is that a director would get kicked out of the building Yeah, where a coach, the environment is there. I think the bit that is interesting for me that Michael touched on a little bit is, and I think some people are frightened of, is that there are certain ways of communicating in the rehearsal room or in the on the sideline that that do require an understanding and that if you're standing outside of that if you're sitting in the stands and you hear a coach being loud and your understanding of loudness mm. is a is aggressiveness yeah. your understanding of passion is uh violence yeah. then you're going to look at them doing that and go well this guy's out of order yeah. And actually the, the, the sense of, of, of shared understanding of commitment, like we're all that impassioned. Yeah. I'm just showing yeah, it in the yeah. movements. So I think, I think the site, there, there might be something about it just freaking people out. But at the same time as coaches or directors or teachers, we have a responsibility to not be using the power that we have mm-hmm. in yeah. a cruel or a violent way. Like that we're not, you know, we're not shaming yeah. someone or we're yeah. not, we're weaponizing our passion mm-hmm. to make someone feel bad. That's the bit where, and we've been seeing some of that in the news. I was looking today at some British gymnasts mm. talking about how their coaches' methods were now being recognized as abuses of power because they were kids. They couldn't, they didn't know that they weren't supposed to be being treated in that way. And that is our responsibility as coaches and teachers to make sure we are acting within those boundaries of respect and humanity and all of that stuff. Does that mean we shouldn't be shouting with passion on the Mm. sideline? No, because we're trying to communicate with someone who's, you know, 30 feet away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cheers! That was a big segue from me, Michael, but I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. So <laughs> crack on, Michael. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I, I love the word creative mistakes. You know, and I'm glad to hear that. You know, because that's what brings you, you set an environment that allows creative mistakes. That mistake may be the plan or, or the element that wins. Mm. You know, or, or makes something 
good to great. Yeah. Um, but the players have to yeah. be open to that and feel they can do that. So if I was to summarize focus connection, it is, I want the players on autopilot. I want them to be released um, from everything that is irrelevant to the then or mm. to the right now. They must focus in on priority. And if you can, that's an individual focus connection. My overall aim is, is if I can get a synchronized focus connection of a group, mm. then you're onto a good thing. Yeah. And if you look at the likes of Atletico Madrid defending, yeah, the synchronized focus and concentration is incredible. You know, and that's not just one pair, two, that's the whole team. And that's controlled by um, Diego Simone given responsibility reminders and threat reminders to remain focused. Because that's the priority of being focused is that you have a responsibility, you must focus on that. Now, if you drop that responsibility, there's a threat, this is coming at you. So you have to you blend both together. I think Michael, he's a... He's certainly not a silent sidelines coach. You know, he, no. he was a very passionate player and he's passionate on the sidelines. And I think as a coach, we need to we need to take all of that passion we have for the game and we do need to instill it in our players. And he's he and Atletico Madrid are a very good example of that, I think, as well. And some people may say, well, you're, you're, you're giving an example of Diego Simone. I walk with the under-8s on yeah. Saturday morning. Well, if I need to tell you that you, you don't, you, you can't be acting like Diego Simone on a Saturday, then that's a problem. Yeah. So I leave that out there for everyone to make their own decision. Where do you use that? You're not going to be on the sideline like Diego Simone or Simone if you're just walking with under 10s orange. Exactly. So there you go. We weren't lying. Uh, the start of an epic conversation with Michael Moore. Um, he, <laughs> this uh, make him of sound, he's a, he's a charming man. Very much so. There was a conversation that went down easy. Very much so, yeah. All that was missing from me was a, was a pint. <laughs> it felt like that though, it did. Yeah. It felt like, uh, um, and I have uh, Irish family, I know you do as well. It felt quite a comfy conversation that could have Definitely. gone on into the, far into the morning <laughs> if it had been down the path. Definitely. He's Definitely. got so much more to say. And in the second episode, he goes even further into the seven stages of uh, this pursuit of excellence and this team building. I don't know about you, Sean, but first, my first instinct about it was I just, I loved how practical and methodical it feels so far. Like he knows exactly what he wants to do in order to achieve a great team. And that feels completely in line with what he's asking the team to 100%. do. 100%. But then again, I think, you know, he's he's realistic enough and practical enough to say that these are what we're all striving towards and that's what he's striving towards. But it doesn't necessarily make those things easy to achieve. But mm. that's, you know, but he has a plan in place to do so. And, you know, you were speaking, I think you were quite keen on the point about knowing the person from the get-go yeah definitely before you even before you even think about tactics and formations and what players are out there to scout you know what are the people you have around you like who are they as people I, I know you really enjoyed that part yeah he's got well he's got a model he's got a model for how to get on board with a team but it's a model that recognizes you've got to meet them where they are which is a term that we've both picked up from from coaching courses across across the time that we've spent, you know, work, working on coaching yeah. as a, as a way of engaging with people uh, and of reaching these goals and and this idea that you need to recognize that the person in front of you is going to respond in different ways and every single person is different means you can go into an elite squad uh, you know, a prison um restorative justice program uh school and apply these same principles no matter who you're working with he also the other thing that i really picked up on early and i think like and he keeps on hammering it is the importance of naming it and making that tangible like what do you want write it down 
What do you need to be like? What does it look like? Write it down. Yeah, I was really, I was really surprised with that handbook that he spoke about. That almost mental, mental kind of notebook that yeah. you know he would actually get people to write things down. And there was also a lot of stuff where he was asking the players and and the team what they wanted to achieve and you know what their standards should be because I think he understands that the buy-in can't just be from what the coach wants, everyone needs to to buy into the same thing. And, yeah. and if people aren't on that bus, you know, you can have conversations with them, but, but maybe they're just not, they're on, they need to be on a different bus to you. And, and I quite liked that, you know, he understood that sometimes there is a selfishness in, in, in a team sport uh, like football. Yeah. And as soon as money gets involved and th- an international duty and things like that, you know, he was, he understood that he may need to say to a player, you want to get better, correct? They answer yes. Okay, if you want to be better, here are the steps to get better and I can make that happen for you. You yeah. know, that's... But I can't take those steps for you. I can't you. take those steps for you, you know? Is this what you want? If it is, write it down, put it in your binder, yeah. file it, yeah. you know, go back to it. Coming back to when he was talking about the the vision meetings, yeah. uh, you know, in stages along the, along the training process, um, I, like... I don't want to get into spoilers for the next one. So I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to put a bow on it there yeah. and say, you guys like you must tune in to the next one because he really just, he brings it all together. Uh, if there's been interesting stuff in this one for you, the next one's going to be even more interesting. If you're waiting for the punchline, the next one is all punchline part two of this epic chat will be next up. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the show notes from this episode that he is going to be talking about. We'll save the big plugs until next week. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for the reviews. Five stars on iTunes. It's uh, they're, they're still coming in. So thank you very much. Um, still hit us up on uh, the social media. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NoIPodcast. Um, we've just tidied up the website so you can uh, visit noipodcast.show and email us there if you want or email Mark or Sean at noipodcast.show. When you say we, Mark, just for the audience, he means Mark tidied up the website and has done a fantastic job in it. I was really impressed. It looks really good. Uh, now, guys, look super professional, in my humble opinion. So do uh, do go check that out. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, so check, check that out. Uh, that's got links to all of the previous episodes on it as well. If you're looking for one in particular, uh, you can search for search for old episodes on there. And uh, yeah, email us if you want to recommend or if you want to. Uh, I, I'm going to say this out. Suggest yourself as a guest. You want to you pitch yourself as someone we should be talking to? Go for it. I want to hear from people who feel like they are running a team in a particularly interesting way or have been part of teams that have um that have surprised them or, or that that have been amazing or terrible we've we've had a lot of very positive chats we said it quite early on yeah like where are the where are the car crashes uh where are the where are the dumpster <laughs> fires <laughs> but yeah we'll 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 leave it there for now uh tune in next week for part two of uh i keep wanting to call him sir michael moore because <laughs> like he's got he's got kind of football coach royalty vibes to him uh, but tune in next week for part two of michael moore um anything anything you want to add sean just thank you very much guys as always really appreciate you continuing to listen in um and yeah if you think you'd be a good guest please do let us know put yourself forward um me and mark didn't think we could run a podcast uh however many weeks ago it is now and months uh you might not think that you'd be a particularly good guest but um let us be the judge of that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so on that note the only thing that's left is uh for us to say goodbye from sean goodbye guys and goodbye from me goodbye you must be like the wolf pack teamwork yes